Hello, you're listening to Met Radio. Welcome to a special segment with myself, Gabriela Silva-Ponte, host of The Final Word. And Owen Thompson with the Local Journalism Initiative. So, Owen, how's your summer been? It's been, it's been busy. It's been really hectic trying to find stories every week. Uh, with everybody going out on vacation, it's been especially difficult throughout the summer. Yeah, I've found that I've been getting a lot of media releases, but... Sometimes you reply to those media releases and people don't get back to you, which is kind of funny and ironic. Yeah, it seems to be like a a week-to-week basis where you'll send an email out the previous week and then they won't get back to you till a week later. And by then, you're already on a new story and trying to email somebody else and then they're going to take another week to get back to you. Yeah, I, this is definitely a very fast-paced time for news, um, especially with the new bill that is essentially making it so that Meta isn't sharing our content on social media. So we're really trying our hardest here to not only report on these stories, but also find creative ways to display them to our audience. So, yeah, I, I try to find ways to understand the bill every week, but I think I fail every single time. I, I understand new parts and then I completely forget other parts. And by the time I think I have an idea, the conversation's completely changed about what's going on with that bill. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's it's been difficult for any media outlet to truly report on all of it um, in an efficient manner. I don't know like the the finer inner workings, but it's definitely been a a different approach I've had to take with news and how to how to share it as well. And there's people I interview who even ask about, well, like how are you going to be sharing this? Like, isn't aren't you affected by the new bill? And I, I my only answer is like, yeah, yeah, I am. So on that kind of note, um, tell me about like some of your favorite stories that you've covered this summer. I know you've you've gone on some really cool adventures and covered some very interesting stories. So yeah, so there's been a, a large mix of different stories, uh, especially with the summertime. There's been a huge focus at the LJI regarding more entertainment or culture news. So one of the really or one of the most interesting ones for me was about a Canadian man who went on a global adventure with no motor, and he traveled over 70,000 kilometers over eight years. Some of the modes of travel he used were like boats, like he sailed on a motorless boat across the oceans, as well as he, he like pogo sticked like 50 kilometers in like British Columbia. So I got to speak to him. Uh, his name was uh, Marcus Pokin, and what a like interesting guy. Like the adventures he's been on that we like talked about were like out of this world, like stuff you, you really think about when you think of like a movie or like a TV show. He told me one story where he was floating down a river in India with like a flesh eating bacteria killing him slowly, which was just like out of this world to hear about. Uh, and that's, that was the big one or one of the big ones for me. How about yourself? Um, I'm just going to say, I do remember you coming in and you were really excited about that interview. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a really cool story. I think for me, it I've covered a lot of really interesting stories. And I've also had quite a few that were about entertainment and music, because that is kind of what Toronto is about in the summer. But one of the stories that I found to be most interesting, and I'm I, I'm just a geek and a nerd for these kinds of stories, but it was about uh, some migrant workers and how the the organization Justice for Migrant Workers essentially delivered an annual report card to the government, and the government 
scored an F in every single section. So those sections were like combating systemic racism and addressing power imbalances, exploitation, all of these things. And the government just scored F on every single one. And then um, this was a week where I had received two separate media releases. And one was about this annual report card. And the other one was about how the Ontario Provincial Police essentially destroyed 96 DNA samples that were taken from migrant farm workers. It was an incidence of racial profiling that was happening. And the sources explain it so much better than I do. But it was really interesting for me because it was kind of a time of, of some wins and some losses at the same time. So there were some really good things happening for this community, but then some really bad things for this community. And then later on, so that was about end of June. And then in July, about midway through July, I went and obviously reported on the refugees and asylum seekers that were living on the streets of Toronto because the government was in a battle with other levels of government, uh, and these people didn't have places to go to, to stay. It's it's an important topic, but I also, a lot of it I could connect with on a personal level because I myself am an immigrant, and there were a lot of these things like how when when workers are in closed work permits, it's in, they're incredibly prone to exploitation from these, these employers. And so I've seen it in my own community, and so it, it was an interesting story. It touched me. And I definitely related to it on a more personal level. So I really enjoyed covering these stories. They're incredibly sad. And I definitely needed a little bit of a mental health break that day when I went home. Um, but they were just absolutely fascinating to cover. Imagine like coming home or your child coming home and they have all Fs on their report card. Like how do you how do you explain that? And especially when it comes to the government itself getting those Fs. It's, it's truly terrible sometimes. And... Speaking of uh, having a personal connection to a story that also involves systemic racism, one of the other stories that really resonated with me this this past few months was regarding uh, NAMI Res receiving backlash from their local community over an affordable housing unit they had purchased. So NAMI Res is the Native Men's Residence, which helps uh, Native men in Toronto and outside of Toronto find living space as well as give them opportunities to better themselves. And it's been around for for decades. And one of the big things they do is they create affordable housing for Indigenous men. And recently, over the summer, they just confirmed and purchased, or they purchased land in 2021 regarding uh, a property at 230 Coxwell Avenue uh, for a four-story, 20-unit building. What ended up happening was that uh, the community found out about this. And so what they did was that a lot of them weren't really great about it. They were because they would have to tear down the building and build it up again. And, you know, all the buildings around there are very like low story buildings. And here they are now building an extra floor on top. And the neighbors were not happy. Uh, some were very concerned about having their gardens covered in shade during the day because of the sun. Others were worried about their privacy regarding uh, the windows and being able to see into their people's backyards or homes when their windows are open. Uh, but other people were just kind of outright racist in their letters. Uh, the, in these letters were read publicly. They're publicly available documents, and they were read out at a council meeting because when the, when the community found out about this building, they had some grievances, like I said earlier. And so a Toronto like community meeting had to be made and attended by everybody 
and they had to address some of these letters. Uh, these letters include uh, things like, quote, as parents, we have raised our three children in this house and have not seen much crime in the neighborhoods for the past 25 years. It is proven through research that indigenous men experience higher rates of violence, crime, alcoholism, and sexual assault. We cannot simply allow my nephews to be here when there can potentially be dangerous men living just three houses next door. And wow. That's awful. It's truly terrible. And I spoke to the director of NAMI Res regarding these letters, and what he basically was saying was that a lot of these letters were very reductive, very soaked in prejudice and outdated stereotypes that indigenous men and especially homeless indigenous men are facing every day. And I'm glad you brought up the topic of um, indigenous peoples because I just recently covered a story about an indigenous coalition essentially embarking on a journey to create an infrastructure corridor that will run across northern Manitoba, Saskatchewan and Ontario. It's called the Wawa Tewak Corridor, which is the Cree word for northern lights. So that's incredibly interesting. And, and when I spoke to the Wawatewa Corridor Project Nation Coalition President Mark Sweeney. He actually explained why this name was chosen. But it essentially is, it's going to bring in a high voltage direct current electric power transmission line and fiber optics to the to the community, all weather roads, and a pipeline to even transport Alberta hydrogen to Tidewater in Churchill. So it, it was a very interesting story because, and I actually... Sources always do this. They always say the best quotes when you've already stopped recording and now you can't include it in your story anymore. Um, but I was speaking to to Mark and he actually said afterwards that the media tends to focus on Indigenous peoples a lot in a negative context. So when something bad has happened to them and, and although it's incredibly important to cover those stories, I think it's also just as important to cover stories where they are thriving. They are doing something that is uh, amazing and, and that is bringing light to this community and just this isn't amazing like the infrastructure all weather road H hvdc like the fiber optics like these are all super interesting and and they're being brought to areas that aren't necessarily filled with them and so i really liked covering this story mark is, is an incredibly sweet person he was even like emailing me some of the other articles that he's been in that have been written about this but i thought it was really interesting that he said that a lot of the times the media focuses on these unhappy stories about Indigenous peoples and doesn't always bring light to these good things that they're doing. On the same note as the good things that are happening, uh, a lot of my culture stories, or a few of them anyways, have been regarding Indigenous-led and Indigenous-produced uh, cultural plays and comedy shows. For instance, uh, I did an article regarding a reimagined Shakespeare uh, called Otoe, which takes place during the summer without no sun in the 1800s, where a volcanic eruption happened and there was no sun and a lot of crops died. This was written by a Cree playwright, PJ uh, Prudat. In the interview, I spoke to one of the actors, uh, Jonathan LaRose, who is an incredibly interesting, incredibly nice, incredibly sweet guy. And he plays the version of Iago in Othello. Iago is the central antagonist, and a lot of what the version of Iago in Otoe is a lot of what Jonathan LaRose kind of was, faces in his day to day, which was incredibly interesting to hear about how, you know, how he's affected, but also that he is just loving this play and like having a great time with all these other indigenous actors that are putting together this production. Most of the recreational stories I've covered haven't essentially had such an 
an important background to them. A lot of them are just shining light on local artists in Toronto, um, like the CIBC Square story that I covered and also the iHeart Market Street Music Festival. So those kinds of things were more just shining light on, on local artists. But I, I did also cover a story on Rastafest, which is a celebration that brings light to a lot of Rastafari culture. And it has been happening for 30 years in Toronto. This was its 30th year this year. That was also a really interesting story because I went into it just sort of speaking to the organizer of one specific event that was happening on the Thursday of the Rastafest celebration, and it was called Jaw Wellness. And that event spoke a little bit about cannabis use and and, uh, mindfulness and nutrition and just all these kinds of areas that have been brought over by this this culture and and how they like to go about it. And then I, I essentially ended up speaking to someone that was at the event and he was actually the founder of Emancipation Month. And he got the bill to, to become legislation. So that was really interesting because it was the kind of story where I was going in there and I was just I was just kind of going to talk about the celebration itself and, and why it's important to celebrate, but mainly just Rastafest in general. And then I ended up speaking to this person and it became a much larger story. And he did speak about a lot about Emancipation Month and, and bringing it through and what it meant. And so that's also a really interesting st- story that I covered that I thoroughly enjoyed. And I had a similar conversation afterwards where his name is Duet. When I had told him that I only had about 10 minutes to put a story in, he kind of became a little bit upset and he kind of told me that media outlets only ever put about 30 seconds of the important stuff in in their stories and they don't really go in in depth about it and they feel like, oh, as soon as they've put the 30 seconds in, their job is essentially done. And I felt really horrible and I actually went ahead and and spoke with Sean, our, our program director, about how I wanted to have this this coalition story in one week and have the Rosterfest and Emancipation Month story in a different week. To be able to give do it and Stacy, who is the Queen of Emancipation Month, um, and the Rosterfest in general, a a longer segment because I felt that it was important and I didn't want to reduce their trust in the media even more by only doing a 10-minute segment that barely touches upon the surface of the issue. Yeah, there is usually a or there is a bit of a discrepancy, especially with the media, with marginalized groups where, yeah, they only usually get 30 or so seconds. And because of that, they don't trust the media as much. And it becomes harder for the media to speak to them when events like Emancipation Month are coming up or are happening. And it's it's a like a, a bridge that kind of has to be slowly repaired and doing things like that of just giving them a much wider breath to speak is just one of the ways to do it. And it's a very like socially conscious, very, I think, important way to to mend those ties, especially with groups like this. Yeah, I agree. And I think that we here at Met Radio do a pretty good job at that. We are one of the media agencies, quote unquote, that takes a little bit more time with sources. And actually, like I find myself here reaching out to sources a lot more frequently than I do at other places because other places are a lot more fast paced and they don't give me as much time to connect with these sources on a deeper level, to email them after or text them after and ask how they're doing, to send them a link to the segment in case they weren't able to catch them live. So I find myself doing a lot more of that. And I think it's because this environment especially has taught me that it's really important to 
shine light on on these people and put out stories about them and give them time to talk and and speak to them even when it's not on the record. So I think that that's definitely something that I've learned here at Met Radio. And we are one of those broadcasters that does a, a better job at keeping in touch with sources. It's it's definitely a big help too because not only are you helping these people give voice to their issues, but it's also a way to build a relationship for with these sources. So because you don't know what's going to happen later, you might need a, to speak to them again regarding another issue. And it it is one of the big things that is been so great about working at Met Radio is being able to foster those types of relationships with your sources in a way that is professional as well as, I guess, somewhat personal. Yeah. No, totally. When I spoke to Mark about the Indigenous Coalition and the Infrastructure Corridor, he was he told me several times, um, both written and on the phone, that if I needed anything, um, I could always reach out to him. And he had a very wide network of people that he knew. And if I needed anything for any other story, even if it didn't have to do with the Infrastructure Corridor, that I should reach out to him. And so that's definitely something that um, is very important and, and does get you further in the field. Yeah, I had a similar experience, uh, actually. Uh, in late June, during the Indigenous History Month, there was a sunrise ceremony held at Nathan Phillips Square for Indigenous Peoples Day, and I attended. I It was at 5.30ish, so I, I maybe got about six or seven hours of sleep. I think six, closer to five. Uh, so I was dead on my feet the entire time and dehydrated and just overall tired and a little cold. And as it went on, uh, the speakers came up and spoke and did their thing of lighting the ceremonial fires, playing songs, speaking to the audience, and giving out in proper indigenous teachings to the crowd that were there. And afterwards, I spoke to one of the speakers. Her name is uh, grandmother uh, Kim Wheatley. She's a, a bit of a, a big speaker uh, for indigenous peoples. She goes around to all types of festivals and just events as a speaker for indigenous people. And the same thing happened there where she was, she gave me her phone numbers. Like if you need anything, like uh, if you need to talk to me about any story, here's where you contact me. You know, here is like, I have already, I have some events that are, and like issues that I know are big. Here you go. And it was like, it was truly like a, one of those, you know, big moments for me. And you describing that physical discomfort just kind of reminded me a little bit of a different story um, that we both actually ended up covering, which was the the Walk with Excellence. And that was back in, in June. That was actually my first week here. And it was basically an event organized by Black Horse Culture Center. And there were four schools from, from North York um, whose graduates walked to York University. And they had this big celebration. Um, and they honored Black excellence and, and the overall graduating class of, of 2023 with performances and school dances, groups, speeches. And even mayoral candidate at the time, she was a mayoral candidate, um, Olivia Chow joined. That kind of reminded me that they were serving food and I couldn't eat it, but I was so hungry. And so the entire time I was sitting there and I was so hungry and it was so hot. The 
the sun was just shining down on us at York University in that little quad. And I was just so, I was just feeling so much physical discomfort. But I almost feel like because it was such an, an upbeat atmosphere and it was so exciting and I was I was really happy to cover the event, I almost forgot that that was happening to me and that I was hungry and that the sun was like burning my arms. So I don't know. I feel like that's what that's what good good events and and stories do to you yeah i i think there's always regardless of the story where i'm at there's always some level of physical discomfort going on whether it's like i didn't sleep well or i kind of slept kind of weird and my i cranked my neck and now i have to do like a, a 30 40 minute long interview with two people that i have to be actively engaged in as like my neck is like trying to like as my head is like voluntarily like following the knot and looking the other direction. Yeah, and or, I feel like we do that so much because we have to like silently nod. We can't say yeah, because that ruins the recording. So we just silently nod and our neck's just going crazy or we're like holding out the, the phone or the microphone to record the person speaking and your forearm's going numb from the pain, so. Especially in person too, where you have to hold the microphone and the person just goes, like it's great that they're talking so much because what ends up happening usually is that you ask them a question you're like how was your day it was good what about this event uh, are you so excited about attending for and they're like uh the speakers and you know it's not great material but then you get the people that really want to talk to you and it's like wow this is fantastic and then your arm is out and if they're a little taller than you you have to your arm is raised and your shoulder is getting a little tired yep. and then they keep talking and talking and eventually there's a point where your arm kind of is close to giving out but they're still not done their answer and it sounds fantastic what they're saying but you have to go like well all right well what about this and yeah. move your mic back down just so you can give your shoulder like a minute of rest because you know you're going to be entering another five minute long answer to your question yeah I think the other thing that makes me really nervous is is photographing these events because <laughs> I am I consider myself to be such a bad photographer that anytime I'm like, oh, well, I'm at this event, I need to take a picture so we can have like a cover photo. Um, I'm always so stressed out and I'm like, okay, let me get the angles right. Let me make sure that I'm taking pictures of the right people. I don't want to get anybody that looks like they would be uncomfortable in a photo in. Like, let me do this, that, like, let me make sure the lighting's right, the sun's shining the right in the right place, everything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so stressful. Because I think I honestly have an easier time going up to people and asking them questions uh, about the, the event or whatever it is that I'm covering than I do actually taking pictures of the event. And that's why you know that I would never be a photojournalist. I feel that for sure. I, I always get so self-conscious taking photos anywhere, even on myself. I'm just like, I'm at an event. This is cool. It's like, oh man, the people behind me can see what I'm looking at. This is weird. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we, we think they're all watching us and uh, take the pictures. They're not, but we think they are. It feels like all eyes are on us. Well, I, I know at least one person is because whenever I see someone pull out a camera, I also instinctively look and go, like, what are they looking at? Yeah. It's just that natural instinct. So there's always at least one person. <laughs> and that's the worst thing about uh, like that, like knowing there's one person, that's how you develop like paranoia. And you're like, oh God, there's like, there's someone watching me right now. Yeah. No, for sure. Aside from that, I feel like I've just mainly covered a lot, like I said, of, of events that were shining light on local artists. 
Um, I've had so much fun covering those events because I go there and I like I covered hashtag TD Union Summer, um, which also had a, a local artist playing there. And that was so interesting. And I just I got to sit there and listen to their music and just kind of jam out. And then I walked around and I spoke to some of the vendors there. I spoke to the organizer and then I, I got some food and I sat back down and I just listened to them play. And that was really nice. Um, I feel as though I've been doing that a lot because I have to wait for them to finish their set so I can speak to them. Um, but I want them to notice me while I'm still there. So I'm like kind of walking around with like my media pass and I'm like, <laughs> I am here to interview you afterwards if you'd like. But I won't do it while you're obviously playing. Um, so it is actually really nice because I just like sit outside and listen to these people play. And it's it's I find it very therapeutic and relaxing. What ends up happening for me is that I usually interview the artists like a week prior or a couple of weeks prior or a month prior to the event that they're actually doing. And because of that, I I get like a nice good like 30, 40 minute long conversation. And this I've done this about twice. One with the Deadly Aunties, uh, who are a trio of indigenous uh, comedians who are going on tour and they're coming to Toronto uh, in the fall, as well as an interview I did for a fringe festival show called Gay Agenda with Blake and Clay. And what these two interviews seem very separate, except what ended up happening was that the dynamics between each group were so funny to me that I was like in tears, like laughing. And I had to mute my mic every time they were talking because I was just laughing and I didn't want to ruin the audio. And those were probably two of the most fun interviews I've ever done where just something about their humor, just like, I didn't, I didn't know it was going to happen to me that it was going to touch me in that way. And because of that, I just like was howling, laughing by myself in these interviews and having to like hit the button and my camera's on so they can see me doing this. And they they would comment on it and start making fun of me. And because of that, I would continue laughing more. And I think those were like the funnest interviews, but those were also the most difficult interviews I've ever done. Yeah. I think the funniest one that I've done this summer was when I went to a speed dating event. Um, that was for uh, individuals who consider themselves um, gay and professional. Um, and I kind of went and I spoke to the to the organizer prior to it. And I kind of I went and I was I was speaking to all of these participants who had come out to the, to do the speed dating. And they were so funny. I was like also almost in tears because of how funny they were all their stories that they were telling me they were telling me like super super personal like tinder stories of like dating and like um and they were telling me like grinder stories and i was like okay and they're like telling me these stories and i'm like recording them like i totally can't use this but this is so funny like this is actually hilarious to me and so i had a really fun time that night it was in the village and i went and i i i felt very like not cool dress because I was wearing like some black regular just like dress pants and like a black shirt and everybody was dressed in like super fun colors and like the cutest outfits and I felt very underdressed but I had so much fun. Yeah it's people like that that make you think like man am I not doing a lot? I've seemed so boring compared to some of these people. I think also it's really cool that you you interview people beforehand and I feel like 
at one point you should interview them after too and get like the difference and the clash in their opinions. So like maybe a month before their performance and then like a week after their performance and just see how they feel in comparison to before. I think that would also be a really cool clash to have. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to go back uh, to some of these people like months after and be like, so like how was the show? How get like an update about like, hey, well, now that you're done your comedy tour, for example, like, like how was the tour? What was going on there? And I, I did touch on that fairly recently, I think about last week, with a trio of comedians, again, uh, on the DIY comedy tour, who are going to be touring Ontario for the second leg of their tour. So I almost kind of got that. I was in this very weird position where they had already done the first leg of their tour in Western Canada, and they were getting ready to do their second one in this upcoming September. So it was like in the middle of like, well, how was the, how was your previous tour? So what's going on with your next tour? So I, I guess like I inadvertently did that, but in a completely like weird way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think those are like my highlights of the summer, man. I've had a lot of fun covering stuff for Met Radio. It's been really nice. Yeah, every week is there's always something going on. Yeah, and it's incredibly fun. I'm been enjoying everything so far and hopefully it's as fun in the winter and fall yeah and you can tune in to listen to us here at met radio i'm gabriela silva ponte you've been listening to a special segment and i'm owen thompson a journalist at met radio and the local journalism initiative